0: Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So friends, two things before we kick off our sermon this morning, and the first is um, that if the sermon title Glory Days puts in your head um, a little bit of an earworm, good, it's intended to. You just let that play for a little while, okay? And the second is, is that sometimes when we read a story from the Bible, it's easy for us to forget how personal those stories can be for others. And as we're reading a story of a man born blind, it occurs to me that we are a congregation who, have, who, have, who are called members who are visually impaired, And that can be a super, super personal reading for them. And so I simply want to acknowledge that we are going to talk about blindness in a spiritual capacity, but in the same way we want to hold this loosely and not simply apply this uh, nakedly to somebody, you know, so I'm thinking of Steve this morning as I'm I'm doing So just wanted to acknowledge that, that sometimes there's some tension in these readings, and it's okay for that. It's okay. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. But back to glory days, all right? Aside from everything that has happened this weekend, I have had a wonderful, wonderful week of pastoring. Up until the medevac landed, I was having a great week, and I was really excited, I was really happy to be pastor here until everything sort of went sideways. But it it is, and what it has involved is I have spent so much time this week with people just telling me their stories. And for whatever reason, it has just happened that way. I've had folks come into the office and tell me wonderful stories. And I had a chance to go out with Doug the other day. We'd been talking about doing lunch forever, and finally we got a chance to go out and just share a little bit of our stories. And one of my favorite things, I love talking to athletes, all right? And so Doug and I, we were sharing our stories, and Doug shared with me that he had made all county in, in soccer. Yes, I have that correct? Yes, because there was no football team. So all the best athletes were there. All right, he made all county. I was like, I made all county in baseball in 2000. And I remember looking at him and going, you know what? I don't care if people call me an old man. That still matters, doesn't it? That's I still care about that. I'm still mad at the Carroll County Times that they didn't make me all county. It was the Baltimore Sun that did. All right. So as far as paper record is concerned, for me, it's the Baltimore Sun when it comes to sports page. But we had a wonderful time just sharing what that looked like and sharing how proud we were and the journey that we had to get there. And then this weekend, I had you know, while I'm sitting in a waiting room for shock trauma, I spent a good time, with, a lot of time with our brother Billy. And Billy shared with me a little bit about his story, and he had shared, and I didn't fully understand this, we all know Billy's into cows, and I know that Billy and I, we've shared 4-H story upon 4-H story ad nauseum, but what I didn't know, I could have guessed a little bit of this, that he was on the Maryland State Dairy Judging Team that won the national competition in 1961, if I remember that correctly. And he said that he had an opportunity to compete in an international dairy judging competition. He said he got on one of the biggest boats in the world. They didn't fly him back then. They sailed him over to Ireland. And that was the impetus of the story. We're talking about having been in Ireland. But Billy shared, and you know what? It was just that glow that comes when you tell the story of something that matters to you. And Billy was so proud all these years later that he had been a part of that team. And they had gotten to do something that he loved. And I say that, and that hence, hence the name of the sermon this morning, Glory Days. But here's the thing. I had a chance to share with some friends of mine our stories. But you've got your stories, right? They're the things you're just like, you know what? These are a little piece of who I am. And I want to start this morning by saying, those things, no matter what your kids tell you, that you're being, you know, they, my kids starting to tell me that you sound like an old man. Nobody remembers that you made that team. Nobody cares. Yeah, well, I do. These things matter. Maybe they don't matter to everyone in the same way. Maybe the guys who made all-county baseball in 2000, maybe some of those guys don't care about it, but I do. Because, I, because the journey I had to go through to get there mattered. Nobody, I was the only kid from Charles Carroll who had made the high school team, and that mattered to me. There's something deeply personal about these things that make us who we are. And to know us, you kind of got to know these things. And once you know that about me, you understand a little bit about why I am the way I am. And I think that's true for us. Friends, we are built by the rhythms of our life, but we mark time by our moments. Hear that again. We are built by our rhythms. We are built by practice. We are built by the grind. We are built by day-to-day going to work. But we mark our lives by moments. And it's that combination of the everyday and the special that come together to make our story. And just as the Bible is a record of God's interaction with God's people, the rhythms and the extraordinary, so too, friends, you and I are also a text that God is writing. Your story is a thing that God is doing in the world. And just like the scriptures, your story, and I know this, I haven't heard everybody's story and I haven't heard every piece of it, but every part of the story has, this has been true, that your story is a riveting roller coaster. Every one of you have tremendous highs and difficult lows. You have surprising turns. There are characters that come in, some of them positive characters, some of them negative characters. But you are a movie script and a great one at that. And let's be honest, most of our stories, we wrote it out of a script, most people wouldn't believe it. But it's our lives. This really happened. In all of this, a story is being written in your life that shows us who God is. God is writing your story. And so, just like our scriptures, we should pay close attention to our stories to hear God's voice. What are the stories, the lessons, the principles that through a lifetime we have earned? Because they create meaning for us, meaning that is revealed only to the thoughtful observer. I encourage you to be fascinated by your own life, because in it we'll find themes which demonstrates what God is up to in the very local and the very personal. You're like, Sam, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, we've been talking about baptism throughout Lent. Let me share. I've done this a time or two, but I remember my own baptism. September 9th, 1990. God was very kind to make it 9990 so I wouldn't forget it. Manchester Baptist Church. And it was the last baptism, as far as I know, it was the last baptism at that church that was done in an evening service, not in the morning service. And I remember I showed up, and I'm all excited, you know, and they put me in a white robe. That's how we did. And then they said, oh, yes, yeah, Sam, by the way, the heater on the baptismal pool broke. And so you, you going in old school. I didn't know how cold that water could get, even though we were indoors. And, and they did full immersion on me. I went all the way down. And came all the way back up. Well, let me tell you something. When that cold water hits your face and you're eight years old, you're like, I'm out of here. All right? Especially when they lay you down backwards. And so, I, my baptism, I was swimming away from the pastor. I'm like, get me out of here. I'm either definitely saved or definitely not. I haven't decided which one. But you know what? I go back to that from time to time. I'm like, what? What did all that mean? Why is that story? You know, you don't care. It's funny. But, you know, it's my story, not yours. But I'm like, what does that how has that shown up in my life? Well, here's the thing. I've discovered some meaning in that. I'm a little unorthodox. Everybody gets baptized in the morning, Sam's gonna get baptized in the evening. And I've always just kind of seemed a half step out of, out of pace from everybody else for whatever reason. Full immersion, that's kind of how I've lived my life. I'm either all in or I'm all out. That's kind of how I am. That's wonderful at times and that's really frustrating at times. But what you get from me, if I say I'm in, I'm in. And sometimes when I'm drowning, I want to swim away. I'll be honest, this morning was a morning I wanted to swim away a little bit. But there was something in that baptism that set me on a course for the person that I am today. Forty years later, well not quite, thirty years later. I'm still going, yeah, that has something to say. That was a milestone that taught me something about myself and what God is doing in my life. And it was, I only discovered that as I kept thinking about it. I didn't leave it in the past. I bring it forward. Every September 9th, I stop and think about what is God doing in me now? Well, those preparing for baptism way, 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 way back in the day when we first established Lent, We said that Lent was the season for preparation for baptism on Easter morning, is when the early Christians would baptize their new believers. And those who were going through that process were also about to undergo a significant mile marker in their story. Their entire lives would now be defined by being baptized. You say, well, Sam, that's not exactly how this works. Like, you know, it's just kind of you get baptized. No, 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 no. Remember, in the ancient world, to be baptized was to be a Christian, and to be a Christian was to be persecuted. To be baptized was to put a target on one's back. Their entire life now would be, you are a Christian, you are a member of that particular sect, and you are a danger to the empire. It was quite literally, in the words of the children's song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And for those of us who join them in spirit, join our ancient ancestors in spirit through Lent, you also are living a story. Through your life, God is shedding light on who God is and what God is doing in the world. And friends, there is no turning back for you either. We can't turn the clock back. We can't change what has come. But God is using that to create a story that tells us about God's goodness. And that story is a gift. Doesn't always feel like it, but it is a gift. And it is a gift not just for you, but for the entire world. Last week, the sermon was about us community of faith, for them. And us for them implies that what God is doing in us is for the inspiration and equipping of the world, for the equipping of the saints to build one another up in the body of Christ. Our story is so that others might come along. And Jesus intends to transform us so much that people around us will say, is that the same guy? Just like the guy in our story today. And this story, which we've read, is so wonderfully, typically Jesus, is it not? It's a wonderful healing story. We're used to this. What makes it unique is all the junk on the back end. We're like, why can't he just be healed and go on with his life? That's not what happened to this man. And that's what makes this story so inspirational and important for those of us who are serious about following Jesus. The story goes like this. Jesus is walking along. He's got no agenda. He's just going one place to another. And he sees this man born blind from birth. And so the disciples ask a question. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Oh, boy. Right away, the disciples show their hand. They show what they believe about this man. Right away, we are asked to consider the meaning of this man's story. The disciples take the very basic harmful religious take that our suffering is directly attributable to our sin that if we suffer it must be because we have sinned and I'm here to tell you that is harmful that is not accurate that is not what our faith teaches but it is it's an easy connection to make right we've all done that we're like I'm in trouble I must have done something what makes and but because when we do this excuse me when we do this, when we say, I am suffering, therefore my, I must have sinned, what we do is we make God the source of our suffering. And that is not okay. Jesus blows this up right away, doesn't he? He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He's like, fellas, you got to stop that. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Jesus turns it on his head. The disciples want to interpret this negatively, and Jesus is like, watch what happens to this man who has carried this burden. Watch what I'm going to do. He says these things we go through can and will show God's glory. Even our worst moments, our most incredible lows, our most serious burdens can show the goodness of God in a single life. That's the principle Jesus wants us working from. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is not here to throw shade on us, but to reveal who we are, the beloved children of God with stories filled with beauty, power, and glory. That's the Jesus that we serve, and that is what this story is about. And so Jesus, rather unsanitarily, makes a salve with saliva and dirt, For me, I'm kind of reminded of Ash Wednesday. No, I don't spit in the ashes. Jesus could get away with that. I cannot, okay? But no, Jesus. there's this Ash Wednesday kind of thing to it. He makes this mud, and he wipes it on the guy's eyes, and he said, I just want you to go and wash, which feels so much like baptism to me. And he goes, and he comes back, and he's like, I can see. Now, if you've been here long enough, you know that I often repeat Paul's words. You are a new creation. Well, this is Why? He can see, and no one can figure this out. It's like he's a brand new guy. They're like, Is this not the guy who was begging? Like, he looks like him. I think it's him, but no, it can't be him because that's not possible. You see, the thing that he was defined by is now gone. He's so changed by this that it's like he's not even the same guy. So, folks ask him, Are you the guy? They're not sure. Now, for you and me, we'd say that's the end of the story, right? Hooray, Jesus, you did another healing. We're so excited. Not so much. From here on out, his story isn't going to be celebrated, it is going to be interrogated. The rest of this story is six different scenes of cross examination, religious cross examination. First, the neighbors, then the Pharisees, then the Jews. And when we think Jews, we want to be careful about this. My encouragement to you would be, think local religious community. And then finally, Jesus himself. What is that? Why is it all of a sudden everybody wants to just interrogate this story? It's a great story. Somebody's healed. Let me say, it is the nature of religion, friends. It's the nature of our faith to interrogate because we want to understand God. It's good to ask the questions it's good to have doubt curiosity is at the heart of a living faith but the ugly underside of that if we're not careful is it's often not about being curious sometimes we interrogate because we want to ensure that our boundaries are solid that the rules are followed that we know who the insiders are and we know who the outsiders are did all of this go according to how we say it has to go And so we ask questions like, well, who did this? Did they have the proper credentials? Did they do it the right way? Did they do it during office hours? Are you a deserving recipient of such blessings? And you see how easy it is to move from curiosity to a courtroom. And unfortunately, we have so many examples in this story of people who make it a courtroom. But there's something to be learned there. Why do people ask these questions? Hear me as clearly as you hear anything today. Your story, that one with the rhythms and the milestones, the story that is unfolding, the highs and the lows, the one that you're living as you sit here, your story makes claims about who God is and what God's kingdom is all about. Hear that again. Your story makes claims about who God is and what God's kingdom are all about. It's that powerful. And when your story doesn't line up with the established narrative, the proper way, there will be pushback. Why? It's not about you. It might feel like you, and it can be very personal, because people question your experience. But it's not about you, because your story brings people face-to-face with Jesus. Now, you might say, Pastor, that's good. Like, everybody loves Jesus, right? Well, yeah, sure. Jesus is wonderful from afar, when he's nothing more than a Sunday school flannel graph, you know, who we just kind of, you know, we put him up there, and we kind of bounce him across, and he's talking to his disciples, and there are the sheep, and Jesus goes and gets all the sheep, and like, Jesus was nice to everybody, so you should be nice to everybody, too. There is not a one thing threatening about that. Jesus is wonderful from afar, but when Jesus is seen in the real life of a real person, somebody that you know, somebody whose story you understand, Now we have to deal with Jesus and what Jesus actually said. Jesus becomes very, very real. For these Pharisees, it was their understanding of what it meant to be a rabbi, their understanding of what Sabbath was, their understanding of what holiness meant, all of a sudden are in very serious question because this rabbi they don't like healed on a day he's not allowed and did a miracle they couldn't do. And so what they do is they interrogate. Why? Because they're scared. It's so much easier to attribute faith to the simple matter of heaven and hell and just being nice than never having to deal with our actual neighbors, deal with the inequality and injustice, deal with virtue and discipline. Even more, Jesus challenges not just the world's realities, Jesus challenges our own assumptions and our own self-justifications. You are not who you assume to be. Jesus is the light of the world. He will show you a new you, and that can be scary. And we're not here, most of us, for that kind of change. But it's the only kind of change that Jesus brings. You are a new creation, and that means a lot. And so, friends, the newly baptized should prepare for this kind of pushback on our own stories. Was it the right church? Did you were you baptized by the right preacher? Did you go through the right process? Were you confirmed or were you dedicated? Do you have your theology all worked out? Are you Calvinist or are you Lutheran or do you, you know all of this kind of stuff? We we ask the interrogating questions as well, and they they will bring in other people to discredit your story. Like they tried to bring in the guy's parents. They will tell other stories that are different than yours. Friends, to have your story interrogated is part of what it means to live the gospel because the gospel is in your life. This is thy kingdom coming. There's struggle ahead. And Jesus is the light of the world, putting our stories in a new context so that it can all scream goodness and beauty and justice to everyone. But let's land the plane here. That this, this interrogation isn't just about sticking it to this man. Jesus has designs for him as well. Because consider what this guy has gone through. He wakes up in the morning, he can't see. By the time he goes to bed that night, his life is entirely changed. The thing that has defined him is gone. Now he can see, but think about this he doesn't yet know how to see. You understand? Can you imagine the number of shadows that went by this guy and he's like doing this? I mean, think about that. Like, even just the simple process of like looking at steps and understanding how to get down those steps. Seeing a rock and understanding that that if you step on that rock the wrong way, you roll your ankle. Think of all the things he had to learn. He can see, but he doesn't know how to see. It's a brand new experience. In the same way, he's been touched by Jesus, but he still doesn't understand Jesus. But observe what Jesus does with him. When the neighbors ask him, what happened to him? When the neighbors ask the man born blind, they're like, what happened to you? He says of Jesus... This guy made some mud and he told me to wash. The next time he's interrogated he's asked by the Pharisees and he says he's a prophet. That's better. That shows some development in his understanding of what has happened to him and the person who has done it to him. The next time he's asked a question in a more snarky exchange and I appreciate this guy kind of walking into walking into a church service with a decent amount of snark he's like, "Do you want to follow him too?" I I like this guy. But in this exchange, the Pharisees accused Jesus of being a sinner, breaking Sabbath. So he can't have healed him, right? Because, you know, a sinner can't do a good thing. And the man says, God doesn't listen to sinners, right? If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. A further development is understanding of Jesus. It's getting deeper. It's got more nuance to it. He can smell the fear in other people. He's feeling more bold. He's figuring it out. He's a little less scared to share his own story. But the climax is still ahead, and that climax comes when Jesus asks him, gets him in a quiet place, and asks him, "Do you believe?" And he honestly asks. He says, I, "He basically saying, 'I I don't, but show me who I'm supposed to believe in. Show me, tell me who I'm supposed to believe in, so that I may believe.'" The man's heart has been open. He wants to follow. And Jesus says, you have seen him. Do you hear the irony? You have seen him. You didn't see anything before today, but now you see the one who is the Messiah. Your story is already filled with his presence. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he fell down and he worshiped him. Jesus helped him see and work through his story, not only so that other people would know the goodness of Christ, but that he would discover who Christ was for himself. And as we said, your story is for others, Well, that man's story and his discovery has revealed God's glory for generations until it is still told today in a small town and a small church somewhere in rural Maryland. What a remarkable story. His story is ours too. The story you are living through is a beautiful one. Your story is a beautiful gospel of good news full of ups and downs, struggles and successes, places of glory and places of forgiveness, places of scars and places of contribution. But let me assure you that you and I still do not understand the power of our stories or the difference that they can make in another's life. You do not yet fully understand what God is doing in your own life, and that is incredible. Jesus is revealing himself to you still more fully, more deeply, and there is still beauty to be discovered in your story. The responsibility, whether for the newly baptized or for the Lenten traveler, is to do two things at once. One, hold your story fiercely. The milestones in your life are a gift. Don't give them up. Don't forget them. Don't hesitate to share them. Let God's goodness and quirkiness and boundary breaking come flowing out in everything that has ever happened to you. Don't let other people talk you out of it. Don't let the kids say, you're just being an old man who's just worried about his glory days. No, that is God's goodness. Go ahead and tell it. But on the other hand, hold it loosely. You have not yet fully understood what God is doing with you. You are not yet what you shall be. And your story, as long as we draw breath, is not yet finished. So keep learning, investigating, be willing to grow and learn and develop. Maybe you will see things in your past in a different light. Maybe you anticipate your future in a different light. All of that is okay because Jesus is the light of the world. He says, I came so that those who do not see may see, and we do not yet see fully rightly. So for those of us who struggle to know our place, to know what we mean, to understand our purpose, to know God's love, the invitation is clear Let Christ show you who you are and who you are being made to be. And you can tell the critics to get out.